Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Today is episode number 44. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today, I'm joined by the usual cast of suspects, Mr. Logan Whitmer and Mr. John Doyle. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing some viewer questions about sharpening. So stick around for today's episode. This episode of Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects, and jigs and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. Okay, so I had an idea for something that we could use as a topic today. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Logan, you said you had someone ask a question on Facebook about shop sharpening? Yeah, Michael uh, had sent me a message on uh, Facebook asking me um, to maybe, uh, as a thought or a topic for one of our podcasts, to talk about sharpening uh, and plain, I think, plain blade sharpening in particular. Um, So when you mentioned you wanted to talk about some of your recent sharpening uh, of some of your tools, I thought it was a good uh, time to hit you know, kill two birds with one stone. There you go. Or two okay. shavings with one blade. Oh. Does that work? Hmm, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> work on it. Get back to us. Work. Okay. I'll, I'll come back to you guys in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, where I was going with it is uh, a little backstory for me is that I feel like every time I sharpen, which maybe I should have sharpening sessions a little more frequently, but I feel like I end up getting my edges sharper than the last time that I sharpened them. And that's That's for kind of my chisels, plain blades, spoke shaves, that kind of stuff. One place Mm. where that has vexed me recently is in sharpening tools that don't fit in a honing guide because I use a honing guide for chisels and plain blades and stuff. Sure. So I have a Mm -hmm. marking knife that we did for shop notes that I use uh, as a carving knife also. Um, Okay. And it has been pretty sharp, and I sharpened it the way that I sharpened my kitchen knives. And for some reason, when I went to use it again, it felt duller. Okay. So that was kind of vexing to me. And then... I think I've shared this before on the podcast is we have an upcoming project where Chris is designing a set of curved or crooked Mm -hmm. knives, depending on how you want to refer to those. Um, And he made a left-handed set for me because I am of the Southpaw persuasion. And I've been trying to sharpen those as well. And with the curved bevel, it is not easy to see what you're doing, which I feel like is... For me, anyway, like 50% of sharpening is being able to see what you're, what's going on. Because whenever you try okay. and put a, a stone or something on there, it's covering it up. You can't really see it from the backside. It's tough to judge where you are. So I was feeling really frustrated. And then I was working on a, a project and making a uh, – it's called a shrink pot. It's from a birch – log section, you know, where you hollow it all the way out and then make a, a bottom. And then as the birch dries, it'll shrink around the bottom and lock it in place. And I 
needed to do some hollowing, so I had gotten these two gouges from you, Logan. Mm-hmm. Made hand made handles for them, and I went to sharpen them. And again, I was just feeling really frustrated by that they looked sharp to me, but they did not cut worth anything. So I started okay. over altogether, and really tried to stick with it. So I had that one, and then I also have a a long bent gouge that I use for bowls. And this one, when I went to, this was another one that felt really sharp or looked really sharp, I guess, until I went to use it and then it just didn't do anything. So I had started to resharpen this one along with those other two gouges and uh, decided to just start all the way over. So I went to my, uh, I have a hand crank grinder that I use and I ground a slight hollow on the bevels of all three of those just so that I could get a good place to start and then went to my oil stones and then finally I've I feel like I'm at the point now where those three tools are significantly sharper than what where they were before so and one of my lessons especially with this one is that I had some grinding marks left over and I had already stepped up from the coarse side of my oil stone to the, I guess, the medium side. It's not quite fine, mm-hmm. but medium. And I still had these grinding marks left in there. I didn't want to go back to the coarse side, but I ended up spending like a half an hour on the medium side trying to get rid of all of those grinding marks so that I had a nice smooth bevel. So sure. I'll try and take a photo of those and put them on the show notes page. But, you know, like that one... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm finally feels and looks like it's really sharp i have another long bent gouge and that that tool for whatever reason just wants to be sharp i almost can't mess up the sharpening on it and then i have some other tools that just i mean i can get them sharp and they'll stay sharp but for whatever i don't know if it's just a spirit of anti-sharpness or I've insulted somebody's ancestors or something that I just don't, I cannot get those sharp. Well, you know, it's funny because we've talked about Mm. this before. There are certain steels that just get sharp and want to be sharp. And then there's steels that are just hard to sharpen. Once they're sharp, they're sharp. They stay sharp for a long time. Um, But I've always said, and Phil, we've talked about this. I will take a good, uh, just a good O1 tool steel all day over any of the you know a2s or the 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 pmv 11s i just i i can get them sharp i know how to sharpen them i can get them Mm -hmm. razor sharp yeah i might have to sharpen a little bit more but i'm not standing here making a living with my hand plane hand planing all day you know what i mean so it's like in reality does that mean that i have to sharpen once every two weeks instead of once every three okay whoop d big deal you know what i mean like doesn't really matter i will just take that ease of sharpening so it's interesting to me that you say you you like to see what you're doing uh i can see that when it comes to some of those curved like gouges and stuff because you do kind of have to see what you're doing when it comes to like plane blades or um uh, chisels or anything like that any straight edge I feel like I can just do those with my eyes closed because to me, everything there is yeah. feel because you got a flat bevel, right? 
And sure. I guess that's where um, kind of my my sharpening process is. Um, I start off, so I'm going to spin my camera quick so you guys can see. I start off, uh, and I'm just showing these off because I got them done. Ignore the rest of the shop. But, <laughs> but so I start, I actually start over there on the, uh, on the Tormek, that guy. Uh, the to I, I say Tormek, it's actually the Rikon version. But I start on the, uh, the, the wet grinder. Uh, very much like you do with your your hand crank, uh, I start with that to put a hollow grind on almost all my stuff. Um, so almost every one of these planes behind me, if you guys are watching on YouTube, uh, has a hollow grind on it, and it just makes it makes hand sharpening go a lot faster for me. Um, and the wet grinder, uh, the Rikon, the Tormac, all those, they give you a pretty good edge right off of them. Right? I mean, I think that stone on that it's like a 220 grit so it gives you a pretty good edge um but then i come through uh and phil you, you kind of mentioned you have a, a two-sided so i'm guessing that's an oil stone right yeah and it was uh i use i've actually found now that i have a like a separate kit for like my smaller carving tools and kitchen sure. knives yeah. so i have it's a norton two-sided oil stone sure. and i've just gravitated and I'm not making any claims towards oil stones being better than anything no, it's, than other. Yeah. It's just this is what I use and what I feel comfortable with. So um, I don't even remember what this one says that it is. To me, it seems like it's a medium India stone and then a coarse, sure. I don't know, India stone. Yeah. or. See, and I'm, I'm the same way. I've, I've tried every sharpening method, um, and I've, I felt like we've talked about that in the past a little bit. Um, I started with the scary sharp method right with the the wet dry sandpaper windex and a uh, granite slab that's actually sitting next to me um and i just found that it got it was really messy and it took a it got expensive when you start buying that wet dry sandpaper is not cheap right um right so I, I started with that and it was a great segue into sharpening hand tools for me uh then i went to water stones and i love water stones i absolutely love them uh, and I would use them if I wasn't traveling around doing seminars or going into the shop at work. Like it just lugging around a Rubbermaid tote of water with four or five stones in it, which is what I was doing. It just was a pain in the butt. And then you steal the car mat out of the video studio to sharpen on. And then John is hollering, where did our car mat go? One time just, you take it. Yeah. So, so I also have uh, gravitated towards oil stones. And I feel like um, they cut slower than the water stones do, which is not a bad thing. Um, you can right. you can roll an edge really quickly if you have an aggressive stone. Uh, but I I went to oil stones, and you guys may recognize this that has been jacked out of the box of these that Chris made. Um, uh, one of the hamster <laughs> caskets. The hamster caskets. Uh, <laughs> so I actually have a set of three stones. Um, I have a a soft India. Uh, a hard India and then a hard black uh, or a soft Arkansas, hard Arkansas and then a the hard black here. Um, so I have a series of three that I go through uh, and they work really well for me. Um, I will say I think I could probably eliminate the soft Arkansas and the hard Arkansas are so close at least with these. These are natural stones from um, Dan's Whetstones. Dan's 
right. Dan's Oil Stones, whatever that company is. Um, and they're natural products, so you can't really say, oh, this is a, you know, this is a 12,000 grit and this one's a 16,000 grit. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And there's some crossover on them, right? So the two that I have are so similar that I could probably eliminate one out of my kit and not miss it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm an oil stone guy and I don't use a jig anymore. So I freehand sharpen. Um, I think a jig is nice and it gives you a, a honing guide. You know, when I'm saying jig, I mean honing guide. It gives you repeatability, right. um, which is nice. And then it really turns sharpening into a mindless thing, right? I mean, you set it, you set it and you forget it and you just sit there and hone. Um, but I freehand, uh, and that's why I hollow grind everything, um, because that hollow grind gives you two reference points when you go to take your bevel. Let me let me grab one of my irons quickly. Um, so those of you, those that are watching on YouTube might be able to see this on my camera. Um, so that's a hollow grind on on that guy, uh, and you can see that I have two reference points that are shiny: the the edge and then the heel down here. Um, and that gives you, uh, that tactile feel. And that's when I, what I'm saying, you know, I can sharpen with my eyes closed. I'm not, you know, trying to be a butthead about it. It's just that I can feel it. I feel those, I feel those two, re- <laughs> I feel those two reference points and I know that I'm riding on the edge and then I sharpen, you know, maybe 20 or 30 strokes, feel the back for a burr. Everybody always talks about the burr and, uh, you know, it's, Again, it gets beat to death, but I think it's that's how you know you're hitting the edge is you feel that burr rolling on the backside. And then I always yeah. come through, take one stroke off uh, the back to knock the burr off, and then I go to the next one. Um, one thing that I think a lot of people miss, and this is where there's, I think, a little crossover with what you're doing, Phil, is I strop these a lot. And I have found with carving tools or gouges or anything like that, stropping is a critical step in reducing how much time you're going to the the stone. You know what I mean? Like, um, I actually, it's funny because I actually watched a, uh, uh, our friend Stumpy Nubs uh, up in Michigan uh, had a video he released yesterday and he was talking about, I, I clicked on it because it said camping woodworking or something like that. I was like, oh my God, that's like... That's what I've been doing. I got a spoon. That's my camping spoon that I've been carving as I go camping. And he was talking about carving is what he was talking about. And he talked about how, you know, the entire, you know, two or three day weekend that he was out camping, he didn't sharpen his carving stuff once because he was able just to strop and keep it sharp. Um, so I, that's, that's a, I think a critical step that a lot of people miss. Um, and I don't, I hate to say it, I don't use the leather strap on my Tormac or on my Rikon. Um, yeah. I just have never found that it works terribly well. I'll probably honestly switch mine over to a CBN wheel because the one we have in the shop's awesome. Uh, but I just use a piece of leather. I mean, it's just a piece of leather with some rouge on it, and that's it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to say that... Um, flattening the back is overrated because you do have to have your back flat but if you can see on that guy if you guys are watching that's the back of this miter plane iron is not polished it's flat yeah 
but it's not polished. There are some uh, grind marks in it from the steel mill when I made this blade. I don't think it has to be polished. Now, there are some, I think, that, that it is uh, very uh, beneficial to have polished carbon gouges or, or gouges like Phil, you're doing. I think that's beneficial. I think that helps a lot. Right. So... Yeah, and I think for durability and, you're, you know, with a lot of carving tools where you're looking for a really fine, mm -hmm. smooth surface straight from the tool is where that, you know, and a lot of times with my gouges, I'm using them with hand pressure yeah. and I'm using them in softer materials. So they're not standing up to the same kind of abuse that, you know, like a average workaday bench chisel is going through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think John just lets us sharpen everything for him. Yeah, I've made it no like secret that my favorite sharpening method is to just use somebody else's tools and then put them back when they're dull and then wait for them to be sharpened again. There you so, go. Awesome. You know, so, yeah. No. no I, yeah, I don't. It seems like yeah, I don't have enough. Or I, I mean, I use hand tools, but I don't use them enough to like come up with some sort of favorite sharpening method i have you know a couple water stones that i use to sharpen chisels and plain blade uh plain blades and stuff but you know and it works fine but so i don't know do you guys have any advice to maybe somebody that's like newer to woodworking how you know to invest in something simple but you know not very expensive where they're not like going nuts getting the fancy tormek you know right type stuff and just you know, something to get started. What would yeah. you guys recommend? Getting and a honing gig, probably. Right, the... and I would, I would definitely have a honing guide for your mm -hmm. flat tools, and uh, even the inexpensive ones, the side clamping. Mm -hmm. I don't know. They were. It was the original. Was the Eclipse. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the style that they refer to them as. I think that's to me that's a good way to start. Um, I like the. Veritas Mark II honing guide. That's the one that I use. So I can't speak to other ones because I just don't use them. But I found really good success in using in both of those styles. Um, I think a, a combination stone is really nice. You know, especially if you have something that does like a coarse and a medium. And then to have something that is a really fine stone. So you could do get by with what I would say would be two stones then, the combination, mm -hmm. and then whatever your finishing or polishing stone is. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I've, and I definitely lean, you guys know this, lean towards the thrifty side of approaching woodworking mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. trying to do it with a minimal toolkit and a minimal investment. Um, and part of where I was going with sharpening these gouges is like relearning something that I had to learn with the flat straight edge tools is uh, patience and practice. Like, you know, it, it gets to a point, especially, and this is what I was struggling with is like, it's just not working and I have to try something else. No, you don't have to try something else. You have to keep going with what you're doing to get it down. You know, it's, you know, like for the carving tools, it's mastering that motion of rocking that bevel on the stone. And that's not something you're going to pick up in four or five strokes. It's going to take a while until you develop that muscle memory and that feel for where this bevel is on the stone and what that stroke feels like to keep that bevel totally engaged. 
so you have to be patient with it. Um, also patient with your with each grit of stone that you're using because it's really easy to be like, well, there's just that one little mark there that'll come out in the next one. No, it won't. It's going to take way longer on the next yeah. grit. You know, stay with the coarser grit until it is. You have, until you have a uniform surface or you have a uniform surface right by the cutting edge, then move to the next grid and stay there, you know, so practice your motion. I mean, that's the same thing, even with using a honing guide, it does take practice. You can mess up an edge with a honing guide yeah. even still, you know, you, but you know, you, you practice with it and you're patient with it instead of thinking like, man, oil stones just don't work. I'm going to try diamond stones. Yeah. You know, all oh, diamond stones don't seem to work. Well, you know, this guy uses water stones and he gets edges that are super sharp. So that means that's how you get super sharp edges. No, it's not. It's practice and patience. Yeah, I would, I would say that would be my, I mean, if I was going to tell somebody that's just starting what to get sharpening, uh, it would be an inexpensive grinder, right? Just a hollow grind. It doesn't have to be a Tormac. You know, I just happen to have a gift mm -hmm. card that allowed me to buy right. that one. Um, so right. it doesn't have to be an expensive grinder. It could be a hand crank grinder. It could be, a, you know, a, a, a flea market $5 grinder. Just something with a tool rest that allows you to hollow grind. And then, like Phil said, two stones, two water stones and a sharpening jig. Um, I would go with like a probably a 200 grit and a 600 grit and then a probably a 1200 or 2000 grit and honestly mm -hmm. most that's going to cover most applications at least for somebody to get an edge on their tool and use them and then they might decide hey i got it down i know how to sharpen let's get a 8000 grit let's get a 6000 grit let's let's get this edge a mm -hmm. little bit more sharp uh and like you said phil I, th I think a healthy patience or a healthy dose of patience um and you also have to remember that sharp is relative to what you're cutting, right? So, like, yeah. uh, in in general woodworking, carving tools generally have to be the sharpest out of anything because um, you're using hand pressure. Uh, I mean, that's followed closely by hand planes and chisels. Um, but, I mean, you know, in, in wood turning, I sharpen almost everything on a 60-grit stone. You know, you wouldn't dream yeah. of taking your bench chisel to a 60 grit stone and using it unless you're putting a burr on it to open a yeah. paint can, you know. Um, <laughs> so it's all it's all relative to your application <laughs> and what you need. So, yeah. Right. Well, and I think you need to consider, too, is like there's there's a point of diminishing return yeah. on what you're doing. You know, like if you're using your chisels to uh clean out a mortise you know or remove rough waste or something like that they don't need to be polished honed up for heart surgery yeah they just need to be sharp enough to be able to get the job done because once you put the tenon in the mortise having perfectly smooth walls doesn't really matter nope. if it's never going to be seen yep. or if you're just using it to remove waste you're coming back later to sand that surface so again it doesn't need to be super 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 sharp yeah. you know the same thing with a hand plane you know my smoothing planes 
for right now because of how you end up, or at least how I end up working, is that there's going to be surface variations because some parts of the project can't be planed to the same level. So I'm going to come back and hit it with 220 mm -hmm. sandpaper or 180 grit sandpaper so that I have a uniform scratch pattern on it. Yeah. So again, my smooth plane doesn't even need to be super sharp. Yeah. You know, it just needs to be sharp enough to do what I need to do with it. So you just, you know, consider what you're trying to do. Yeah. You know, well, and it's all, again, it's all relative to what you're cutting. So, you know, if, yeah. if, if you're working, if you're a vegan woodworker, yeah, they don't need to be terribly sharp because most softwoods plane pretty well. But if you're if you're doing some luthier work in, you know, bird's eye maple, you probably want them a little bit more sharp. So, right. Yeah. 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 So to flip that back on you, John, as someone who doesn't use hand tools a lot and do a bunch of sharpening. However, I've watched you sharpen with the water stones on the set. And you do a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, it just takes patience and stuff and actually doing it. And and even when I'm uh, here at home using the water stones, and I'm always satisfied when I'm, you know, sharpen things. It's like, oh, why didn't I do that a long time ago? <laughs> or if I would have done it earlier, I wouldn't have had to work as hard, you know, to get it sharp. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot of skills more of just patience and actually doing it is the thing yeah. stopping and taking the time to to sharpen your tools and and then you're all i mean you're always happier and when when you get it done and you can work faster and get a better you know result once it's, you actually do it it's just you know actually stopping and taking the time to do it so but. yeah so what would you say then as as an essential kit for sharpening uh, I don't know. I kind of started, started out like what Logan said with the sandpaper on a sheet of glass and, and, and that worked pretty well, um, for a while. But like, I mean, you mentioned, I have, uh, one stone that's a water stone that's two sided and another one that's, you know, more the, the fine, really fine grit. And that seems to work really well. And once you kind of, uh, like I, I, I have like the Irwin marbles chisel, like nothing super expensive. And once you get to the point where, you know, you've sharpened them and flattened them once, it seems like you can just pull out those water stones and get them sharp again. So, uh, I think like the first time I sharpened them and flattened them, I use, you know, uh, went through the whole series of grits of sandpaper up to the really fine water stone. But now that I have them sharpened once. I can a lot of times just pull out the water stone, you know, the, the, the couple water stones that I have and get them sharp. So, but so yeah, like you said, a couple of water stones and, uh, you can get one of those honing guides, I think, you know, pretty cheap. Um, yeah, they're like, like 12 bucks or something. Or yeah. something. So, I mean, it's really easy to get started and the water stones will probably last you forever if you're not, you know, doing a ton of sharpening. So, I mean, it doesn't take much and just sitting down and doing it every so often. And the more often you do it, the easier it is. So, yeah. But, uh, the other thing I was going to ask, going back to you guys were talking about, uh, steel, different types of qualities of steels. And a lot of times, Logan, you get, you know, antique or 
you know, second or third hand tools. Is there a way of looking at those and telling the quality of steel on it or are the older ones better than the newer ones? As a rule, or as just a, kind of hit and miss. Yeah, as a rule of thumb, I found that again, rule of thumb, older steel's better. Better quality. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to put that. Maybe it's that older older tool steel has a uh, better uniform quality. So, like, if you get something that's right. vintage, generally it's going to have good steel. Um, we have right. some good steel alloys uh, today that are better than old steel. Um, <laughs> there's a way to... There's a lot of like, oh, you know, stick it on a grinder and look at the spark pattern that comes off, and and that will tell you the carbon mm-hmm. content and what type of steel it is. It's like I don't really care. I care if I can get it sharpened and if it will make cuts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need the edge to last for two months. I need the edge to last for my project, and then I'm going to resharpen it anyways. So, you know, that, yeah, as, that's kind of the assumptions that I'd make too. Is like something older. Is because people, you know, back then were buying it for their livelihood. It had to be something quality. They were investing in it. And there's a lot of more hobbyist stuff now where there's just cheap stuff on the market and, and you know, that kind of thing where it's think, like uh, not necessarily high quality unless you want to spend the money. So, yeah, I would assume the older stuff would be on average better. Yeah. You know, the. Oh, good, though. I'm not a metallurgy expert. I, I've read some stuff from uh, Joel Moskowitz on his blog for tools for working wood. He's he's kind of taken a deep dive on some of those. Or uh, Ron Hawk mm-hmm. uh, is, is kind of he'll geek out on all that kind of stuff. So he would probably be better sources than I have. But from what I understand is that older steel was made in a fundamentally different way than what it is now. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's a grain or crystalline structure that is much smaller and finer in older steels than there are in typical uh, industrial steels now. Mm-hmm. That, that's my takeaway from it, and I think that could be wrong, but that's kind of what I've looked at it. And when you have that finer grain structure, it's going to be able to sharpen to a much keener edge than what you can do with a with something that has a much coarser structure. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. I will say uh, some of the best steel, some of my favorite tools are these guys. Uh, these are, uh, this is a, I don't know if you guys can read that or not, probably not. It's a DR Barton. Uh, this is this happens to be a, a skew chisel for turning, but all the DR Barton stuff I've bought uh, that's vintage. Actually, I think that gouge you just held up Phil was a Dr. Barton. Um, I think they both are, yeah. right? The, yeah, these, that one, the big one is. I don't know what the little yeah, one is. These are my absolute favorite steel. This this stamp is a Dr. Barton, eighteen thirty two. So that tells you how old this is. The steel on it, and this is in the condition I got it in. I mean, it's just silky smooth. Like this was like new old stock. This the. The Dr. Barton stuff, and Dr. Barton made tools for a long time, so I'm sure the the metal quality changed over time. But all the Dr. Barton stuff I've ever purchased has held an edge and got sharp, and it's some of the the only stuff that I would say that comes close to it is the um, 
Lee Nielsen stuff. Um, I don't ha- I don't have any Hawk blades, but uh, the Lee Nielsen stuff's close to it. But I think this stuff's probably a little bit better. Yeah, so both can... of those both of those gouges that I had were Dr. Barton's yep. as well. So so if you can find stuff made from old growth steel, yes. right? That's yes. better. Old growth steel, kind of like better. old growth wood, yeah. tender growth rings. But yeah, and then I, I mean, sharpening is one of those areas where you can totally go down rabbit holes in terms of getting specialized equipment for specific tools. You know, like Logan, you've already referred to, you know, there's a different process for sharpening turning tools and even different types of turning tools. And then if you get into carving or uh, knife work, you know, that that's a different sharpening skill set or whatever. I will say that my sharpening skills have improved once I started sharpening our kitchen knives too, you know, because there you, I mean, you get a little, there's a different type of feedback, you know, when you notice that your tomato slicing knife just doesn't cut it anymore. And then when you do sharpen it and it's like, oh, that's what's right. You're supposed to sharpen your kitchen knives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i still have a set from like when we got married it was a wedding gift you know 18 years ago yeah right never sharpened just bludgeon everything <laughs> squish tomatoes yeah mm-hmm. you know because i even cut a boot sole and then you can cut a tomato and right cut a car in half yeah and i have a few just a couple of pieces of dowel that I use for some of my curved tools that I use with a honing compound or even a, a little bit of diamond paste yep. on there just to, you know, to be able to chase the burr on the inside of a, of a gouge is kind of nice to be able to see, you know, and that's, you know, these are just two sections of a cherry dowel. It's not any, anything that's super complex or expensive. So, sure. What, uh, what do you got for projects that you're working on? Oh, this week I am getting my shop cleaned back up. Um, getting ready for winter, you know, winterizing. I think we mentioned that before. Yeah. seems like every week it's like, I got to clean the shop again. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> get the piles. I got to get the piles stacked back up. So, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same thing here. Kind of still getting the shop all put back together um i am officially starting a brand new project on that's i i have to start this dining table for my wife um so there's a if you guys could see my screen there um we've Mm -hmm. settled on this boat top table design from thomas Mosier. so so that'll be a fun i've i've kind of scaled everything and know where everything's going so maybe next week we'll talk about how we all tackle projects from the beginning because it's it's kind of a process to get everything you know get everything measured especially if you don't have measurements i have a thomas Mosier shop drawing measured shop drawing book this table's not in it so right so i've kind of scaled everything but yeah that's uh my my wife's at the point where she says you know what i'm either going to go get one of your saws and cut the legs off this table and sand it down or you're going to start building a new one so I got the ultimatum. All right. Well, so. Okay. Yep. All right. So, like I said, I'm working on my uh, shrink pot. Yep. From a mm-hmm. birch section there. This actually came from a tree in the yard where I grew up. Nice. So it's got a little bit of a little story to it. And then I'm almost done with all of my Christmas projects. 
and then even to the point where I accepted a few family requests for some accessories that aren't gift related. So cool. I've been got several projects going on and sometimes it's a little bit nutty going out in the shop. Cause it's like, what do I work on? Yeah. But on the other hand, it's sometimes nice because you get to a point in one project where it's like, I can't do any more because I need to let something dry or apply finish or whatever. And then you can move to another project. So. Yep. There we go. Awesome. Yeah. I'm hoping in the next couple of days I'll have my shop all wrapped up. It's, it's getting cleaner. My computer is now pushed back a little bit on my workbench from where it usually sits because I have some more room. So I have a problem and I think most people have a problem. Like as you're cleaning your shop, you find tools that you're like, Oh, I forgot about that. And then you kind of play with it or it's like, Hey, I have these pieces yeah. of teak. I wonder how this hand planes. So now I have a pile of teak shavings just because I wanted to see how it hand planed. Just cause. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That wraps up another episode of the shop notes podcast. Thanks for listening. Wherever you get your podcasts, I would love for you to give us a good review and a rating helps us get in front of more woodworkers like you. Also share the link with uh, other woodworking friends or people who'd be interested in learning how things are made. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, we'd love to hear from them. You can send us a comment on our YouTube page. You can also find all the previous episodes at our website, woodsmith.com slash podcasts. And you can also email us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Otherwise, we'll see you again next week. Bye, everybody. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.